you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS in Pasadena for a morning of multilingual readings, interactive performances, and lots of kid fun. It's Super Fun Saturday on June 1st. Get your tickets at LAS.com slash events. There's just one photograph I've been able to find of me and Oscar Gomez. It's from the day we met at a Chicano student protest in downtown Santa Barbara. February 1st, 1992. There's Oscar in the center of the picture, tall and determined in his black beanie, eyes focused, holding his large cassette recorder, his silver microphone raised like a hammer. And I almost missed it, but I'm there too. On the photo's left edge, I make out the sleeve of my white Zapata T-shirt that indigenous vest I bought in Mexico City, and my Levi's 501s. I'm barely in the picture. It's so telling of that day that it's Oscar who's fully within the frame. Oscar was on his way to being a popular college radio DJ and an incredibly influential student activist. He certainly changed my life, but that would come much later. That day... He and I barely said more than a few words to each other. Now, I wish I'd said more. I just remember him as intimidating. The clothes said cholo. The body said jock. And me, in my carefully considered horned-rimmed glasses and embroidered vest, I was neither of those. I was holding on to so many secrets so much insecurity. And there was Oscar with his confidence, the golden boy energy of the high school football star. I was put off. I didn't grow up knowing any Mexican-American kids like that. Oscar hosted La Onda Chicana, a college radio show out of UC Davis. The early 1990s were an especially xenophobic time in California politics. Oscar focused the show on Mexican-American empowerment. Oscar was on the airwaves, talking education, culture, and Chicano self-determination. Challenge what goes on, Raza, little Chicanitos and Chicanitas in escuela. Make sure and question the history that you're being taught. Because a lot of times, you know that George Washington is not your father. What are these people scared of? That the Raza is going to get educated, that they're going to be able to go back and empower their communities? It's something that we got to ask ourselves, Raza, and something that we must continue to ask ourselves, because la lucha continúa. Oscar traveled to protests and conferences up and down California and outside the state. He recorded what he saw, the people he met, to broadcast to his audience. He gave a radio platform to young Chicano rappers, connected listeners to indigenous thought, and tutored public school kids. He made being Chicano sound fun and exciting. 
1993, the Mexican-American labor leader Cesar Chavez died. And without him, there was a leadership void. And here came along Oscar, a young, handsome, charismatic, politically engaged college student, an inspiring radio host and activist at just 21 years old. I just remember tuning in to the campus radio station and having that connection without physically being there. He was fire. He was charisma incarnate. All the girls married with a boyfriend or single, everyone had a crush on him. He knew that this government's not for us and that we needed to take action. Yeah, he would have been a someone that people should follow. Someone that could walk alongside Cesar Chavez, you know. Two and a half years after that Santa Barbara rally, two and a half years after that photo of the two of us was taken, I would be out of college and freelancing for weekly newspapers on my way to a public radio career. And Oscar? Oscar was dead. I'm Adolfo Guzman Lopez, and this is Imperfect Paradise. This season, Oscar Gomez, the forgotten revolutionary. The body of 21-year-old Oscar Gomez was discovered at the bottom of a cliff near the UCSB campus last November. The Sheriff's Department says Gomez was drunk and hit his head on a rock after falling off the cliff. Oscar had been at a protest in Santa Barbara on November 16, 1994. He was last seen at a college party that evening, around 9.30 p.m. Early the next afternoon, a passerby spotted Oscar at the edge of the surf, covered in seaweed, with the upper part of his skull smashed in. The coroner would find sand in Oscar's upper and lower airwaves. No broken bones. He died from craniocerebral trauma. It would take law enforcement 14 hours to break the news to Oscar's family. The Santa Barbara Sheriff's Office initially investigated Oscar's death as a homicide, Deputies walked along the shore next to the 50-foot cliffs where Oscar was last seen and interviewed people nearby. But after just 12 days, the sheriff's department closed the case, listing the manner of death as undetermined. According to the sheriff coroner's report, they never found a single witness to his final hours, never found where he fell, if he fell at all. Their theory? that the death was an accident. Their report references Oscar's blood alcohol level when he died, 0.18%. But Oscar's father did not believe it. We think somebody killed my son. Gomez died of massive head wounds, but his family doesn't believe he got them from falling off a cliff. 
Today, his friends and family urged the sheriff's department to reopen the investigation into his death. But the sheriff's department says the case will stay closed unless a significant lead develops. It's been 28 years, and the case has stayed closed. 28 years, and many of Oscar's family and friends still believe he was murdered. They rallied around the phrase, Justicia para Oscar, justice for Oscar. Oscar's father sued the Santa Barbara Sheriff's Office, the county, and the University of California, Santa Barbara. Friends and family revisited records, protested, tried to find the last people to have seen Oscar alive. They still honor Oscar every year with a college scholarship for students in his hometown. And me, to be fully honest, I packed away that whole chapter of my life, the part associated with being a Chicano activist. I stopped marching, and I stopped protesting. I became a reporter in California's largest public radio newsroom and found mainstream success. But one person would not let me go of Oscar completely. Oscar's best friend, Juan Gonzalez. What's the date today, Juan, and why is it important? Well, today is, uh, it marks, you know, the 27th year exactly that we were notified that Oscar had passed into the other world. And today is November 17th, 2021. And like I said, it's about little after 4.30, and we're here just to remember Oscar. I come by probably about four to six times a year. I meet Juan at Oscar's grave at Resurrection Cemetery. It's a Catholic cemetery about half an hour east of downtown L.A. I saw Juan a lot in the early 1990s. We both went to college in San Diego, and we ran into each other at Chicano activist meetings where we'd greet each other with a Chicano handshake. You know the four parts— Regular handshake, to diagonal handshake, to fingers curling into each other, and a fist bump to close it off. Juan calls me carnal, brother from another mother. Juan and I catch up every few years, and every time he asks me to use my public radio platform to investigate Oscar's death. There's probably like 10 theories out there that, that could have happened, and I look at the questions that someone has to ask. The thing you have to understand is I was the first Latino reporter at Southern California Public Radio. I had faced complaints about signing off with the Spanish pronunciation of my name. I wasn't about to undermine myself as a reporter by revealing my activist past. I had enough of a target on my back. But Juan kept coming back to me. He told me I had a lot in common with Oscar. I always remember you as a Chicano with a notebook pad and a pencil. I tell Juan about the photograph I found of Oscar and me at the 1992 Santa Barbara rally. That's the first time I introduced you guys, actually. And a lot of times you're just so busy. I introduced you guys at least a half a dozen times because you guys are like doing news about Chicanos, you know what I mean? And I told Oscar, this is Adolfo. He's one of my, uh, he's one of my, uh, you know, uh, senior mechistas, you know, teaching me the ropes out there. And yeah, yeah, of course you guys didn't know who each other were, but I want you guys in the years to know and maybe work together someday. I never got to work with Oscar back then. I barely said hello, mainly because of my own insecurities. 
I was still unsure of my place in the movement. And for decades after his death, I was reluctant to go anywhere near his story. But then something happened that rattled me free of those reservations and brought me back to Oscar. That's after the break. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. LAist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAist.com events. My road back to Oscar was a two-step process. First, in 2019, I did finally give in to Juan Gonzalez's suggestions that I report on Oscar Gomez. A little bit. I was covering higher education for KPCC when Juan called me to tell me that UC Davis would be awarding Oscar a posthumous degree. Aha, I thought, that was something that fit in my beat. Here's my report from that time. Cepeda made the case that Gomez helped students graduate when she petitioned that UC Davis grant him a posthumous bachelor's degree. The university reviewed the request and approved it in March. Gomez's father, Oscar Sr., says he imagines holding the degree, which represents his son's hard work. I'm Adolfo Guzman Lopez. But what I still didn't say in the story is that I had also been a Chicano student activist. I believe that journalists are supposed to be out of the frame, observed from the sidelines. The story got a lot of traction, and my editor encouraged me to pitch it as a longer project. Still, the idea of revisiting that time in my life made me nervous. And then a year later, the newsroom assigned me to cover the George Floyd protest happening in Long Beach. I'd covered plenty of marches. I knew to pack granola bars and wear hard, closed-toed shoes in case I got stepped on. I grabbed my recorder, put my press pass around my neck, and drove over to 3rd and Pine in Long Beach. I followed protesters, their chants, their anger, into the thick of the crowd. There was a line of police officers, protesters yelling into their faces. Away from that, yards from the intersection, I saw a black man who was kneeling, and I crouched with him. What are you doing? Ah, uh, just, just peacefully protesting. It's gotten tense here, right? It might yeah. not end up peaceful. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I, that's how it is. But I mean, I'm doing, I'm, I'm having a peaceful protest on my end. Whoever, whoever's acting crazy, man, that's on them. But like, again, we're, we're trying to have a peaceful protest out here. Nothing crazy. Enjoy your time. Appreciate Thank it. You. Yeah. We stood up, and I turned the recorder off. 
and started writing down the man's name. And then I heard a pop, and I felt a sudden impact at the bottom of my neck. I brought my hand to my throat. My fingers came back covered in blood. Adolfo Guzman Lopez, KPCC reporter, uh, was at the protest in Long Beach. First of all, Adolfo, how are you doing after getting hit in the neck with a projectile? Yeah, I got hit by a by a rubber bullet at Third and Pine. I had been the, and I'm a, I'm okay. I'm breathing. So what? Here's a sequence of events, Larry. Good. I went on air with KPCC's Larry Mantle a couple of hours after it happened. It had been a foam round, fired by a Long Beach police officer. I count my blessings that the injury wasn't worse. Police would later say the round that hit me was intended for someone else, but at the time. I was just overwhelmed. But, um, you know, it hit me. <laughs> Boy, uh, Adolfo, I'm just so sorry that this happened. What, what upsets me is I was trying to take care of myself. I've been, I've been in these kinds of situations. I've covered protests with, uh, you know, with police officers in riot gear. I was try, trying to be very aware uh, uh, and not being <laughs> close to the police line. And like I told you, it upsets me, the sequence of events. It was only after I, I was obviously interviewing somebody. Yeah. May 31st, 2020 changed me. I'd like to say that it was being injured while reporting that did it, or that I suddenly saw how I was inherently part of a larger political struggle. But really, it was the physical impact that rattled me. It dislodged fillings in my teeth. For a week, I wore a gauze bandage the size of a credit card over my neck. I stayed home for two months. I had to put myself back together again. And I realized that some of the things I'd been holding on to, I didn't need anymore. Like the impulse to hold back, to hide parts of myself. Uh, Adolfo, I know this is uh, very fresh, and you're probably still in pain from this, but... um, I assume you're going to be following up with this, and um, your news organization will too. I appreciate that, Larry, and I appreciate uh, you having me on. And, and you know, I don't like to be the center of the story. I don't like to be the story, but <laughs> I didn't make me the. I didn't make me the story. Growing up Mexican in California at the end of the 20th century. I'd spent most of my life feeling targeted by anti-immigrant politicians and policies, by campaigns to label people like me as less than human. The badge of public radio reporter put a distance between me and all of that. I could report on Mexican-American topics, but I always had a sense of remove. I had kept the Mexican and immigrant compartments of me firmly closed to most people. But that foam round shook something in me. I didn't want to close parts of myself off anymore. Why should I care if people complain about how I pronounce my name? And why should I care if people know that I was a Chicano activist, not just a Mexican-American, but a politicized Mexican-American? I think it was something a lot of reporters of color were going through after May 2020, for their own reasons. But suddenly, I didn't have a reason to say no to my friend Juan anymore. I could try to find out what happened to Oscar Gomez. 
So that's what I'm going to do. I'm taking on Oscar's story. And this time, it's not going to be a three-minute newscast feature, but a full-fledged project, which means diving straight back into the early 1990s Chicano student movement and my own part in it. I'm moving my history into the frame. The journalists of LAist work for you. I'm LAist senior health reporter Jackie Fortier. That's where you see the necessity of having to educate our community. I explore how your health is directly affected by rising temperatures, wildfire smoke, dense traffic, oil drilling, airport noise, and overcrowding, and find possible solutions. LAist, independent journalism, fact-based journalism. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com slash events. See you there. If I'm going to find out what happened to Oscar... I need to talk to the one person who spent the most time trying to get answers. Oscar's dad, Oscar Gomez Sr. When I reach him on his cell, he says he's excited about my investigation. But he's also hesitant. He doesn't want our phone call recorded. He tells me that there's still a lot of pain and that he's been burned before by people who said they wanted to help. I can't do this investigation without the Gomez family. For one... Families have rights to certain documents that the public doesn't. But also, it just wouldn't feel right to me to pursue this story if they didn't want me to. Finally, Mr. Gomez agrees to let me record an interview. Oh, it's just the beginning. This feels like a beginning. I don't know if, don't know if you have it. Producer Natalie Chudnovsky and I meet him at his house. It's a cream-colored, one-story, on a corner lot in Baldwin Park in L.A. County. Hola, hola. Mr. Gomez greets me at the door. He's fully decked out in Dodger blue. Dodger. And so am I. Mr. Gomez is a tall man, though you can tell he used to be even taller. He has a deeply lined face and a white bottle brush mustache. He used to be a firefighter, so his family and friends sometimes call him Chief. Juan Gonzalez is already at the house, and Mrs. Gomez is around, too. She's short and wears her dark brown hair in a bob. I feel her wariness, but she's polite and says hello, even though she doesn't want to be recorded. We all sit on folding chairs in the front yard. Mr. Gomez says they've lived in this house since 1973. He points out six Italian cypress trees that he planted almost 50 years ago. One for each member of his family. So it's me, my wife, Oscar, Eddie, and Gladys and Christina at the end. Eddie, Oscar's younger brother, joins us a little ways in. How's it going, Eddie? Seeing Eddie is a jolt because he looks a lot like the photos of young Oscar. Except Eddie got to grow to middle age. He says he loved growing up here. Their house was a magnet for the neighborhood kids. We all knew each other. We all played together. We all, like, um, they were compadres with a couple of, you know, my parents. And it was uh, safe. You know, that streetlight would come on. It would be, like, time to go home. 
Mrs. Gomez chimes in that the grass in the front lawn was always dead because the neighborhood kids used it as a baseball diamond. She once counted as many as 17 kids buzzing around the front. But a lot of these kids growing up, they didn't have, like what we had, I think that's why they enjoyed coming over here so much, because they saw like the love that my mom would give. And I think that's why, because we kind of gave them that, that, that love, that kind of what they were missing in, in their home. I asked Mr. Gomez to tell me a story about Oscar as a teenager. He, he started working real young. He started working at Burger King. And his friends would go, he, they knew that he was working there. So they would go in and he gave them all free hamburgers. Everybody just showed up. Well, he didn't last long. He got fired, you know, <laughs> so. Mrs. Gomez gets up and heads into the house. A few minutes later, she comes back with a wooden plaque. Teenage Oscar is smiling at us in a sports coat and skinny tie. Put, put Oscar over there. Above his picture, I read, Baldwin Park High School Scholar Athlete of the Year. And underneath Oscar is a list of his accomplishments. Junior class president. Football, baseball. He was a wrestler, too, in high school? Oh, my God. They put the plaque on an empty chair next to me. It feels like Oscar's watching us. You know, at school, at school he was always, like, like admired and, and... and the teachers always liked him, especially if he was sick. They would come here and bring him his homework, and, and, and they never did that for my other kids. Eventually, our conversation turns to why I'm here. The Gomez family already spent years, really painful years, trying to figure out what happened to Oscar. And they've tried to move on. Now, I'm asking their permission to let me resume that investigation. Mr. Gomez is honest about the toll those years of searching took on the family. It's, it, was very, it, was a, it was a nightmare for us. Our whole family was a nightmare. It was terrible. So anytime that you kind of redo it again, and you, like you said, it's not, uh, it's not something that you're looking forward to doing. But like I said in the beginning, I'll, I'll do what I can. What, what does Justicia para Oscar mean to you, Mr. Gomez? For me, it, it means like, Number one is he didn't get justice. He never has gotten justice up to this date. There isn't the same kind of effort done to investigate kids that are, unfortunately, Chicano kids as other white kids that have money. We've got plans to go up to Sacramento. We've got plans to talk to some people in Santa Barbara. We want to talk to the sheriff's department. Um, we're going to talk to you know people here in uh, L.A. County. But I don't know, what would you want us to ask, look for? They, changed, they said that he died from blunt force trauma. And then later, the days went by, and then they started changing the story. You know, and then the, the death certificate, finally, they said that it was, well, we, now we don't know what happened to him. So, but see, I'm sure that something happened because he died in the university's property, so they tried to hide everything. They tried to hide and make it quick, like like nothing happened. I mean, he was right by the by the state capitol. He would talk in the radio and all that. It would, he was not afraid to say things about the governor. He was not afraid to talk. I don't dismiss this, because things like what Mr. Gomez is suggesting have happened in this country. I think about COINTELPRO, when the U.S. government illegally monitored and infiltrated the Black Panthers. 
After 9-11, the FBI used an informant to infiltrate a Southern California mosque. And in December 2021, a news report revealed the LAPD hired a marketing firm to track Black Lives Matter protesters' tweets. At this point, I'm taking all suspicions seriously. They told me at the time that they were closing the case and that if I found evidence to show it to them and they will reopen it. I said, that doesn't make sense to me. I said, I'm not a, I'm not a sheriff. I'm not an investigator. You do, that's your job to do. How am I going to do that? As I said, the Santa Barbara Sheriff's Office initially investigated Oscar's death as a possible homicide. They said his cause of death is blunt force trauma. But then they conclude the manner of death is undetermined. There's a news release issued by the sheriff's office stating that the death is believed to be accidental. To Mr. Gomez, all of these different labels don't add up. He says the year after Oscar's death, he filed a lawsuit against the sheriff's office for violation of the Gomez family's civil rights to a proper investigation. So I tried to sue them. I sued them. I kind of knew that I was going against powerful people. Obviously, the university and the sheriff all together, the courts. My head feels like it's going to burst with Mr. Gomez's suspicions. He thinks the sheriff's office didn't do their due diligence because Oscar was a Chicano. He thinks UC Santa Barbara and the sheriff's office covered up Oscar's death because they didn't want trouble. And he thinks Oscar may have made important people at the state capitol angry for calling out racist laws. I'm feeling the heaviness of the Gomez family's grief. The heaviness of so many unanswered questions 28 years later. But it's late, and everyone has to go home. And, and, and I hope you get to see the game, man. Eh? Yeah, well, it started. <laughs> it's, it's, it's starting it's quickly. Started. Gracias. Bye-bye. In this season of Imperfect Paradise, Forgotten Revolutionary, I go back in time to Oscar, and to my own history, to peel back the layers of what happened to both of us. Oscar was a complex person. You know, he had a lot of drive and animo, but he also had of, um, there was, I think, a little bit of a chaotic part to him. Then they knew who killed him. Then they knew who killed Oscar. Prepare yourself because uh, it's an intense ride and, and just when you think you've uh, a notion of where this story may be going, bam, you'll jump tracks. That's coming up on Imperfect Paradise, The Forgotten Revolutionary. Imperfect Paradise, The Forgotten Revolutionary is written, reported, and hosted by me, Adolfo Guzman Lopez. The show is a production of Elias Studios. Antonia Cerejido and Leo G are the executive producers for Elias Studios. Natalie Chudnavsky is the lead producer. And our associate producers are James Chow and Francisco Avilespino. Editing by Audrey Quinn. Fact-checking by Audrey Regan. Mixing by our engineer, E. Scott Kelly. Our music supervisor is Doris Anahi Munoz. The music is written, performed, and recorded by Joseph Quinones at Secondhand Sounds in Rialto, California. 
Our website, LAist.com, is designed by Andy Cheatwood and the digital and marketing teams at LAist Studios. The marketing team of LAist Studios created our branding. Thanks to the team at LAist Studios, including Taylor Kaufman, Sabir Brara, Kristen Hayford, Kristen Muller, Andy Orozco, Michael Cosentino, Emily Guerin, and Leo G. Imperfect Paradise, The Forgotten Revolutionary is a production of Elias Studios. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. All seven states on the Colorado River may have to cut back water, but not everyone agrees on how. From Coloradans who blame others for the crisis. There continues to be a look upstream to solve a problem that we did not create. To farmers who may lose their livelihoods. We don't want to cut equal with everybody else. Will they reach a deal in time? Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.